This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome to the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, a.k.a. Downtown Clown Town. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. I'm Peter Gowers. Joining me, as he does, is... Leon Logan-Nathan. You've been practising this? No, I haven't. No, just drove in here because... We're in the hood tonight. We're on location. We're in Big Brother from the hood. Is it? What was that? Uh, uh, <laughs> was it Big Brother? Big Boys in the hood. Zero eight three zero. Yeah, yeah. That's we're where uh, we're where a lot of dreams have been broken. Mm-hmm. That's what, as I drove into what's the street called? Woodlake Boulevard. Woodlake Boulevard. I thought, oh, this is the Boulevard of Broken Dreams <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Anyway, it's weekends with Wall Street because it's a weekend. So uh, let's introduce the fella who we decided to name the episode after, Chris Walsh from the NT Independent. G'day, Chris. Hey, good to see you guys both. Our special you guest. Yeah. Yep, special <laughs> guest. <laughs> That's right. How's the week been? Oh, crazy, man. Bit happening? Yeah, as usual. Well, mm. i got to say, it's been the biggest news week I've seen for a while. Yeah. It feels like at least. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We kind of got some rumblings about that late last week. Mm. Um, yeah, man. I don't know, guys. It'll, uh, I guess we'll get into it here. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's as crazy as it's ever been. Yeah. It's, um, it's always plenty to talk about on the big news weeks. There is, so let's just get into it. Rip into it. Okay, so we'll start off with the, the first story, which is, uh, I must say, it's quite interesting. The first case of monkeypox has been detected in the NT. Yeah. How the heck did that get in here? <laughs> yeah. Well, they just dreamt it up to terrify everybody, I mm-hmm. think. Um, what if there's the- a vaccine for that? Apparently. <laughs> I presume there's lockdowns coming, masks are back, hey, stay tuned to stay home. <laughs> We're all going to die. That just is always the message coming out of the health department these days. But, um, yeah, so this one they're saying now that it was, it, it was detected in a returned overseas traveler to the NT. Mm. He's been diagnosed with monkeypox. So, and, and they're claiming that uh, this person, the infected person, is currently in isolation. Of course, they don't tell us things like how they found this person or, you know, that they present with symptoms. Based on the pictures, they'd be hard to miss, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. All those spots everywhere. Yeah, and those spots can go in a lot of uncomfortable places too, other than the hands and the feet, apparently. That a 23-hour flight from overseas wouldn't wouldn't be all that soothing for. Yeah. So they're saying now that uh, while the transmission risk of monkeypox is currently low in the NT, quote, it's important anyone with symptoms seek immediate medical advice. Mm. Uh, so those initial symptoms um, yeah, include what are they? fever, swollen lymph nodes, headaches, body aches. And then those symptoms are followed by lesions. And that's where you saw that uh. photo of the hand there that look like blisters that may appear on the genitals, face, inside the mouth, palms of the hand and soles of the feet. When I think of pox, that's what I think of, the dots everywhere. The other symptoms, however, Chris, uh, most of them apply for COVID and can apply for multiple other um, illnesses. So that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And uh, and they're saying, I was just trying to find that, um, just it's spread, essentially it's spread, they're saying, through close contact with an infected person, animal, or contaminated objects such as bedding, clothing, and towels. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, and then and then like you know the the anti government put out this thing, and I clicked on it just to see where it went, and it was to an, an Australian government uh, kind of uh, fact sheet, which right. had said that the symptoms are similar to those seen previously with smallpox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and now they said that there were currently 41 cases confirmed in Australia, first case being reported on May 20th of this year. Um, and, of course, we don't get a lot of details about this person other than they came back from being overseas. And, yeah. And, and well, they, so they must have come on Singapore Airlines then, did they? Because <laughs> <laughs> Jess does not operate well, anymore. Well, if they came direct to Darwin, I suppose. Oh, yeah. actually, hang on. Is Virgin flying to uh, Bali? Are they talking yeah. about it? I don't know if they are or not. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so we don't know. Which Probably should have done oh, our research we'll, before we'll that. Ask Convat Scalis, pretty short Jetstar. His <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, trade yeah. delegation yeah. over there last yeah. month, and that was on Jetstar. We saw photos of him. That oh, was oh back on so Jetstar. he did it tough. Yeah, right. yeah. Jetstar, one right. A. Yeah, well, with his with his wife. So again, I don't know. Mate, if he it doesn't matter whether it's one A or twenty five. C. Slightly it's the same. Room. It's the same amount of legroom. <laughs> 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 Slightly more legroom. Food safe. Oh gosh. Yeah. So right. yeah. So you know, and then we got the foot and mouth thing that they're talking about, and everybody should be scared. Yeah. Of yeah. The yeah. About foot and mouth is a real issue. Yeah. And as as is it, you guys, is it foot in mouth or foot and mouth? Well, I had Both. to check that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It is bad though, because as you know, my wife writes for a rural. Um, paper and they had their deadline the other day and there was much worry because being a monthly publication you know if it, mm. if if it gets in which it it since has yeah. but it wasn't the way they expected it was in a meat product and you know it, as it stood it actually isn't a risk to anyone because it doesn't affect humans mm. but um yeah it, it's a real worry because it could decimate Cattle, live cattle trade. Well, not just cattle. Cattle, sheep, goats. It's wow. it, it will decimate this country, the farming side of it, if it gets in. Mm. So it's it's really important that we keep it out. Yeah. Mm. Well, we've got all these risks now too, right? And then we know that the flu they're talking about is extremely bad here in Darwin yeah. at the hospital. And then you've got this resurgence they're saying of COVID, and yeah, yeah. the chief health officer Payne saying, um. Wear masks. Recommending that people wear masks now. That that we're. I've seen a lot the more COVID cases masks. are up more here yeah. in the Antine than anywhere else in the country. So. So is the um, is the the cho the cho being given a twenty year health order as a result of all the different things? <laughs> well, <laughs> Break yeah, down your doors at any time, day or night. Yeah, right. We're still kind of. Where is Hugh Higgy? I, I haven't I heard of him. He's on leave or something. Is he? Was, yeah, yeah. yeah, he needed a break. <laughs> He needed a nap. And he was feeling it in his bones too much. All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll find out about that. So, wear your masks. No close contact with strangers. No sharing towels. Or and um, as soon as you said about the the bedding stuff, I thought of that Ocean's Twelve thing. You know, they infected that guy in the hotel on purpose to make him move from the room. So, yeah, hotels. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have to stay in a hotel, don't. And, yeah. and, I mean, we've seen so many tourists up here, yeah. you know, like yeah. more than, you know, I think in living memory. I think yeah. they're the ones bringing in half those things, aren't they? Yeah, and then the flights are being cancelled, so mm. there's yeah. a care. Yeah, they can't leave. Yeah, and, and, then, and, and, and they can't find staff to actually run the hotel, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. there could be some serious towel sharing going on. Yeah, there. yeah. yeah. correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> correct. <laughs> they'll borrow your towel a minute. <laughs> 
All right. Well, look, let's move on to the second story. And Chris, the uh, story of the week. Story of the week. The Turf Club Grandstand Saga uh, uh, continues to make the news. Yeah, guys. I don't even know where to. Are start they renovating or? Are they what? They're going to renovate it or what? Renovate the uh, the grandstand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like I look, I don't know what what's going on here with this anymore. But you've got like we heard, like I was saying, like so late last week, we started hearing rumblings that that the the report, the Turf Club Grandstand report that was prepared by previous ICAC uh, Ken Fleming. That, you know, something was going on, that Riches was in talks with people, that he was going to kill the report, that it wasn't going to be on the site anymore. But we're just hearing it's going to be killed, and we had no idea what that meant. So yeah, I think it was Friday afternoon I sent him some questions about that, saying, you know, we're hearing this. Would you actually do this? Like, would you be so crazy or bold as to actually do this when there's not been anything wrong found with the fundamental facts of that you remember we've talked about this like when that first came out we said okay now if you're going to get into issues where you know somebody's got a problem with something here the facts are the facts the facts are the facts and they're still the facts what happened and i guess to take you guys back to last month when we were talking about that with moriarty damian moriarty is his name he was a a turf club board member um really a, a small player in the whole grandstand scandal as it unfolded but he had a position on the board i think he was overseeing the project and there were issues where the adverse findings were that he had come out and uh uh, told the public or told media that that brett dixon wasn't involved in any of the meetings discussing the grandstand in his role as chair of the turf club or as finally the successful tenderer in his role as with JTEX, the construction company that won it. And that was found not to be true. And, you know, we've seen, we were reporting that before the ICAC that, you know, we had minutes from board meetings that showed that he was very much there when they had said publicly that he wasn't. Oh, and so what, this came out in court? Uh, no, so, yeah, so what happened was Moriarty had taken um, the ICAC to court yeah. to say, you know, that these adverse findings aren't fair. Um, you know, you didn't tell me, I think one of his arguments was you, you guys didn't tell me that I was even being investigated. I thought I was here just giving information mm. um, and that I would have done things differently. The uh, the judge had found, Judith Kelly had found, it was, I guess, considered a partial win for Moriarty in that she found that, that procedural fairness was not afforded to him and that the because ICAC of what? had because acted of what? outside the jurisdiction. So right. the procedural fairness was this, was that he wasn't aware of all of the information that they had against him when they had asked him to respond to things. And now what that was, was they'd given him everything on him. Do they have to give that normally? Yeah. That's what procedural fantasy is. Yeah. But but what had happened, though, was the board board had information that he would have naturally had if he was on the board, but the board was given this information and told, don't share it with him. Uh, So that was the problem. Why do they do that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they operate. The board or the ICAC? ICAC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just seems know. really odd. Yeah. It does. Well, when you – yeah. I, and that well, they're trying to get information from the board that was relating to yeah, that person. Yeah, that's what it was sounding right. like. And then, But then yeah, they were trying to get information from Moriarty. But then it just appeared like he was maybe tacked on at the end, right, when they were looking for other people to – 
to kind of put to share right. the blame around here that he was thrown on because like I said he wasn't a big player and I don't mean that's something but if you're telling the media something I mean every time that Michael Gunner got up in front of the media he didn't tell the whole truth so I mean mm-hmm. you gotta get him on that and I'm not I'm not excusing that kind of conduct because you got to tell the truth to the public but when you're looking at so some of these bigger issues that were going on here, it's like, okay, you could you could say something about that. I mean, we have public servants that were involved in this mm-hmm. that should have really had those firm adverse findings other than saying they engaged in a duplicitous process. Mm-hmm. And I mean, those are serious people with still chief executive roles. So yeah, so so what had happened was that was considered a partial victory for Moriarty. And essentially what what we thought was gonna happen, so Riches took down the report. So the judge had found that, that a procedural fairness wasn't afforded. Um, Riches then took the report off of his website and we were under the impression, okay, he's got to change it now because he's got to take Moriarty out. And I think to a certain degree too, the, the Darwin Turf Club themselves who had put forward and that there was some information there that would have connected those two. So, okay, you got to look at making changes now to this report. Um, Can I just stop you there for yeah, one second? Right? Difficult. Can I just want to stop you there for one second. Okay, the NTICAC is not the first ICAC that this country has ever had, right? Uh, there's been ICACs in I think the, the last, yeah, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, there's ICACs all over the place, right? Yeah. Has this issue ever come up anywhere else, Chris? This type of issue where yeah, like the ICAC kinda... has got a report wrong or partially wrong or didn't do, didn't you know, provide someone with procedural fairness. Yeah. How do they deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think just, just what we had seen here was just we go really back and fix it. it, right? Go back and fix it. Like, now they weren't saying that anything was wrong. They were saying that procedural fairness wasn't afforded. And then when yeah. the ICACs do an investigation, it has to be to a higher standard, really, than mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and so that, that, Look, whether or not that's happened, I'm sure it has some good people to ask about that, and I will. Um, but what we know is that usually something like that, you could fix it. You could. It, How do you fix it, though? Reasons. Well, for this one, you would take Moriarty out completely. W- would you right. do that, or would you issue uh, an addendum or something like yes. that? Yes. Well, that's a good point to say that this is to be read that – yeah, that there's nothing found against Moriarty, something Because like by that. taking it out, it's almost like you're rewriting the report in a way <laughs> and <laughs> exonerating yourself. I guess I'm thinking out loud here. Yeah, you know, you know I, you're you, absolutely you, right. You know, that, I mean, yeah. if the ICAC had made a mistake, rather than, than take it out of the report, you'd leave it, I would have thought, you'd leave the report as is yeah. and then you would issue like an, an explanatory, explanatory yeah. note yeah. saying, look, when we did this, we, didn't we were wrong. Well, we do, it wasn't that they were wrong, but yeah, we didn't give him that. And it was only part yet. of the stuff that they took out regarding him, wasn't it? It wasn't his whole... Well, no, so they didn't end up taking anything out, right? right. So what happened then was, so they took it down, and that's what we thought. Or he's going through it. He's got to make some changes now based on this He's got the liquid ruling. paper out. Yeah. <laughs> now, there were, there were 12 arguments, of course, that Moriarty had put forward, and only two of them were successful. And... Um, so, but anyway, they were. So we thought, okay, he's got to alter this. Maybe it's a denim, whatever. Um, he doesn't kind of do that. And then we start hearing these rumblings that, no, he's burying this report. He's going to get rid of the report entirely. So we sent him questions about it, and he ignored those questions. I sent him questions again on Monday, which he ignored, saying, what does this mean? you got to explain this to people, Michael. Like, 
you know, you want to take people along with you. And you've said that there was that the office is about trust, that your office, you can't perform your function as the ICAC unless the community has trust and faith in that. If you don't take people with you on this, you don't explain it, then that, that trust is going to be lost. And again, I think he issued something. I had somebody issue a comment to me saying, I have no comment to make. And I thought, well, you know, we know this is going to happen imminently. And then sure enough, Tuesday morning, 1130, he puts out this statement. And he says that he has decided to, um, to strike this report, to take it off his website. He said he had decided not to republish it, that he had taken it down after the Moriarty findings. And now he's determined that he's not going to, to republish it. But again, like we've been asking, what does that mean? What does that actually mean for the findings mm. themselves, mm. right? Mm. So, you know, and to a, a certain degree, the, the Supreme Court upheld those findings in the Moriarty matter. They, you know, he had all these different arguments. How, how did they do that? Chris? And they said, well, they didn't find they. He wasn't successful with a lot of the other things that were about, like whether it was factually right, whether he was allowed to do what he did, and all of these things was, was stood up. And reading the report or the findings from um, Judith Kelly was, you know, they had mentioned Brett Dixon in there and said, you know, this argument was made. Now we're turfing that argument out, does not stand, does not stand, cannot be believed. There was nothing that they found. There was no misconduct. There was nothing, you know, on the part of the ICAC in doing the report. There was nothing factually wrong with the report. So we're saying, why, why do this? Why take this down? And, you know, he puts this settlement out, or, or the statement out, sorry, and he says, um, that uh, I have determined that I will not exercise the power to republish that public statement, which was a report on the ICAC website. And this is classic Michael Riches. I do not intend to make any further comment on that investigative process or the findings reached by my predecessor in his report and public statement. In deciding not to republish the public statement, it should not be understood that I accept all of the criticisms made by parties about that public statement or the findings made by the former commissioner. So, yeah, so it's like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, like, exactly. Why are you doing this? What does it mean Why to are me? you doing this? You're saying, like, people shouldn't, you know, think that I'm saying that I'm accepting the criticisms. I'm just taking down the entire report. Well, why and how come? <laughs> For what purpose? So, And are we not entitled to know that? Like, I, I genuinely don't understand I, that. I think I, absolutely he owes the public an explanation right. on okay. this because we can't make any sense out of this. So, you know... <sighs> You know, it's, yeah, just getting into him. I mean, we went back and looked. You know, he hasn't done anything. I and mean, we've said this before. Since last July, I note that he had a cake in the office a couple of weeks ago celebrating his one-year anniversary. Ah. Um, so that's good. Um, you know, but he hasn't accomplished anything. And, you know, he had sent me a message or something. Why did you say that I haven't accomplished anything? I'm right. Did I tell you guys about this one? No. <laughs> yeah, and he said, uh, he said, it was something question I'd asked. You had to mention something. this because I thought you weren't allowed to discuss if you're talking to the <laughs> no, <no>. <laughs> uh, I'm a journalist, my friend. My, my powers are vast and wide as well. So I, uh, yeah, he said something. Why did you say I haven't accomplished anything? And I said, well, because you haven't accomplished anything. Well, you haven't produced anything. I said, I wrote you hadn't produced anything. Mm. Am I wrong? Mm. And um, really, this is what, what has happened now in a year. Um he hasn't done anything. In fact, now he's reduced the output of the office when you think about it like I was that. Is that just deleting cameras, doing something? Yeah, yeah but is that because of the budget cutbacks, though? 
that he hasn't been able to do anything. Well, well no, 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 no. Whether he manages, you're saying he's reduced the output of the office. Well, by right. deleting yeah. this report, the, oh, the yeah. report they did do what's yeah. under the archaic watch yeah. is now gone. Yeah. So, yeah. what I'm saying is, does the chief executive yeah. ever come in and say, I, oh, "Let's get rid of look, this"? Look, I, I just need to understand this more, Chris. Yeah. I mean, has this ever happened anywhere else? Has an ICAC ever withdrawn a report? I don't know. That I don't know. Don't know. Haven't heard that. Do you we remember were- we read the article earlier in the year about the New South Wales ICAC? And the article was written from the perspective of someone who'd had a negative finding found against them, which they then too took through legal channels and it was determined that this person was correct and that they weren't, you know, whatever. I don't think it was procedural fairness, but whatever it was, they hadn't done what they'd been accused of doing. Mm. The article was to say that, at least in that jurisdiction, the finding is never withdrawn. It's never deleted. It's there forever. And there is no mechanism currently in place to remove those. So it it may be different here than it is there. But that was exactly what that article was discussing, the fact that this guy was essentially innocent of what he'd been accused of doing. He got caught up with some wrong people. But his actual... Um, role in it was nothing and yet the findings are there forever and he's considered corrupt forever yeah yeah and i'm not familiar and, with that and, but and that's under the icac's um definition of corrupt which is yeah, as we've learned it's different from what yeah. we would think normally but yeah so look so he 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 does this and then it's we're trying to get perspective on this and okay what does it actually mean and i was talking to some legal people saying well what's going on here and we don't know. I mean, we still don't know. So that was that on Tuesday, he just puts out this statement, right? And he says it's his decision not to republish it. Now, we know, and we're starting to hear, and we know that, that this isn't so much a decision as it is a deal that was done. And this is a deal that we know was done with Brett Dixon's lawyers. Now, remember when I said that Moriarty had had this partial victory in the Supreme Court? He was one of four people who had taken this judicial review action. Now, the other three, like I mentioned, were the Turf Club itself, uh, Brett Dixon, of course, and Brett Dixon's business partner, a guy named Matthew Moss, who was with him on JTEX. So so you had these people. So the one, they, they had lost parts. They didn't lose overall um, the ICAC on that Moriarty thing, but they, you know, the procedural fairness and that they had overstepped their jurisdiction, whatever, in this other part. But... You know, it it became this issue that does the ICAC continue to defend the report or not? And it seemed like what he had done then was he entered into these negotiations with Dixon's lawyers to settle this. How do you know that? That dropped from sources, from people that we've spoken with who know about this process, that that this is what what happened, that, um, that, you know, he, Riches, had entered into this agreement basically and one of the the tenants of that now i haven't seen those i've heard of them i know parts of them i haven't seen the whole thing but one of the things he said okay you know if you drop your legal action against us we'll not publish the report we'll keep we won't republish that report and i think probably some offers of legal fees legal expenses um being covered to this point but the the part that just gets crazy is why is the icac entering into these negotiations right so 
as if it is just a simple civil matter, civil litigation matter. And, you know, there was a, an excellent um, an excellent guy talking about this uh, by the name of Chris Merritt, who was on ABC Radio on Wednesday morning. And if you didn't tune into Adam Steer, you didn't hear it. Um, and, and it was good that Adam had him on. So he was the vice president or is the, the vice president of the Rule of Law Institute of Australia. And what he said was that this whole thing is just completely absurd and that he can't make sense of it either. Like, I know you're still trying to think, okay, why does he do it? And Chris Merritt, who, who, who had been following this for a while, said, um, you know, the whole, the whole process has been a mess. And, you know, I disagree with him personally on some, some of the things that he said, but I think he was right on the money when he said that Riches has acted like an amateur and made a terrible mess with this deal so not to said. republish the corruption yeah he said wow. this, this is amateurish words. yeah um because it doesn't make sense and i talked to chris Merritt last night just mm. personally after and and we discussed all kind of aspects of this and that was and he just said it's just so absurd like i he said i just do not understand why this man would do this um now what he said was uh those findings have not been withdrawn. The findings of the report have not been withdrawn. They're simply not going to be republished. It's a complete and utter mess for this reason. They, Moriarty's legal team, did not succeed in striking down findings against him personally. Those findings, therefore, remain on foot. So what we've got now is the worst of all possible outcomes. What are the outstanding findings against Moriarty? Have they been withdrawn? He says they should be. Uh, Riches, as I pointed out in the story, had refused to respond to questions about his backroom deal not to republish the report. He said in a statement on Tuesday that defending the report against legal action had become, quote, an unfortunate distraction. Um, it's understood Riches made the deal not to republish with former Turf Club chair Brett Dixon's lawyers in exchange for Dixon, Moss, and the Turf Club dropping their ongoing legal challenges. Uh, Chris Merritt said the office of the ICAC's handling of the entire grandstand matter from the beginning to the end. He's not a fan of Fleming, I can tell you that. I had a chat with him last night. Um, he said he made a complete hash of it all. He said, uh, but that the ICAC should know better than to make deals with parties like this. He said it's amateurish the way it's been conducted, not just by Fleming, but I think it's been conducted by the current commissioner as if it was a simple matter of civil litigation between parties in a civil dispute. It's not. This is an agency of the Northern Territory government that's clearly made a terrible mess of things and simply deciding not to republish a report, even though there are ad adverse findings that have been upheld by the Supreme Court. It just beggars belief. I think, he says, and he concludes, I think the cleanest outcome would simply be to withdraw the findings and apologize for the complete mess that's been made of this. Now, I don't think we should go that far. I think that, um, you know, withdrawing the findings, like he's saying, like, well, but there hasn't been anything proven wrong with the findings to this day. And this is why I think it was maybe even crucial that Dixon had his day in court. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, yeah. if I, you know, I mean, like, so, so what you've got is a situation now where there are findings that have been made in that report that are still there, as far as we know, they have not been withdrawn, but the report has disappeared from the website. Mm -hmm. So where does that leave you in terms of your reputation mm. if you were one of the people that were named in that report? I don't even understand why they took the deal. You know, like, okay, yeah, we'll just drop it. I guess, like, Brett Dixon wanted that more than anything. It's just a report to be done so he could tell people, oh, I've been exonerated. Look at that. The Turf Club, he's he's killed the report, so I'm I'm good now. But that's not what's happened here at all. Like, those findings are still on foot, as Chris Maris pointed out. 
Um, so why take the deal? I guess because of the public perception for Dixon, which is probably all that he really cares about is what the public perceives of him and that this looks like some sort of victory for him. But it isn't because he didn't have his day in court. Now, this is where, you know, I got into an analysis that I wrote today called, um, you know, behind the scenes of the ICAC's backroom deal to kill the turf club grandstand corruption report. Now, we know um, from people that, you know, as recently as last week, Dixon was worried. Now, he was he was buoyed by Moriarty's publicly looked like things were good because Moriarty had won a couple of small things here. Um but we're being told by by people sources that uh, that behind the scenes Dixon was worried because one of the the main well one of one of the arguments that Moriarty had was that the ICAC had no legal right to to publish a, a report like this and name people and Judith Kelly I was looking at that the other night she she rejected that argument and that was like the last argument that he made argument twelve on the grounds that the report was quote apt to fulfill the purpose of providing information about the outcome of a referral to the ICAC. He has a responsibility. Well, it's actually in the act that he can put out public statements, which is what the report is, um, and that he needs to tell the public, essentially, yes, this was referred to me. You knew I was investigating it. This is what, what has transpired. This is what's happened and what I've found. Now, from what we understand with the arguments, with the uh, legal arguments that Dixon had put forward, that was his strongest argument, was that the ICAC had no... Uh, legal right to publish that and put his name there because it hurt his feelings real bad. And, you know, and he, he talked to the NT News about that. After Moriarty's victory, they did a whole story about uh, um, Dixon saying, yes, and this exonerates uh, Damien and uh, we'll be looking forward to this because, you know, he was real mean to me. Um, you shouldn't have published this stuff about me. Well, come on, you don't, it's, it doesn't appear to be a strong legal argument. Now, that was that was kind of the center of it. Of course, he had some other arguments there, too. But I think that if we were in a position where if Dixon really wants to clear his name, why wouldn't he follow through with that? Why wouldn't he go to the court and, and have this play out? But we're hearing he was worried because of that central argument. That have you spoken, have you spoken to Brett Dixon at all no, about we, this? No, we sent him questions. No, he doesn't, right, <laughs> as right. you know. Um, so I think the this standard response is none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did say that one. Yeah. Though, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, as I pointed out, uh, you just sometimes you sit back and, and, you know, I'm just letting this kind of sink in after um, that was happening. And, and yesterday afternoon when I started writing this and, and listened to Chris Merritt and, and make contact. And I thought, yeah, and I'm thinking about this and I'm like, yeah, you know, this is really crazy. And this is an only in the NT type of story that, as I pointed out here in the in the analysis, where a man found to have engaged in corrupt conduct, quote unquote, with apparently no hope one day, can see his fortunes dramatically change overnight due to the incompetence of a single public servant. In this case, that public servant was the ICAC, Michael Riches, who you know makes this deal. I mean, I get back but, to okay, that okay. About, like Riches let, let, let me knew, just, let, let, let me just knew what the argument was yeah. that Dixon had. Why did he do this? Okay, but this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I'd feel reasonably confident that Michael Richards wouldn't have made this decision on his own, right? He would have gotten, he would have had legal advice on I this. I asked about that, as right? Well. Yeah. So, so I mean, what would the legal advice have been? There, there must have been legal advice that, yeah, you should bury the report. I mean, I, I don't know why, but <laughs> no. you know, but but is there any other explanation? 
No, not look, no, and not to the people I talk to. We just cannot make sense of this. So, so maybe there's more facts to this story than than you have, Chris. Possibly. <laughs> well, I mean, look, yeah, okay. Hmm. The only thing you can think of now, I'm calling him incompetent, and I'm hmm. saying that there's an issue here too, right? And Chris Merritt raises that point, but I'm taking a bit further on that. That what is this guy? He's using. You mentioned the legal advice. I asked mm. about that. What was the legal advice on that? Who did you use for this legal advice? How much does that legal advice cost? Because he's using taxpayer money now mm. to negotiate a deal with somebody about corruption investigation as if it's just some civil, simple civil matter. The taxpayers are paying for that. Whose interest is that in? Is it in the public's interest that this report goes away? Or is it in Michael Rich's Interest now, Riches has come out and said, "Well, you know, I found it an annoying distraction to my very important work that I'm doing." Well, I'm sorry, Michael, but that's not a distraction. We still got people who are pissed off that twelve million dollars of taxpayer funds went to this grandstand. The ICAC found that there was misconduct that happened, breaches of trust, corruption. And yet nobody's been held accountable in a year. And we have the ICAC saying, who should be pursuing this further, not just sitting on his ass doing nothing, should be pursuing. It's actually his, his role to do that, saying, oh, no, look, this is just a distraction. I've got more important work to do. No, you have, this is your role, is to investigate and clean up this kind of stuff. The man hasn't done his role. What I'm saying is that, that when you get into this position where he's using, he is using as the ICAC public resources and if we go by his public statement, it was only for his own interest to get this gone because it was a distraction. All these people are suing me and the media is after me. And we know he reads the media and he's pissed off about comments there. And the NT News is all over him because they're running a public campaign trying to suppress information from the public. Like, it's crazy. that. What, what do you mean do by that? that, Chris? What? Which one? Which the part? NT News. Oh, where they were running things like about how this report needs to be gone. I mean, they've written editorials about this because they didn't like that their editor, Matt Williams, was caught up in the whole thing with this text message about favorable media coverage that we exposed. I mean, there, there are countless examples. We wrote editorials about it where they came out and, and you know, twisted this thing in the public's mind to think that, like, I, I just don't understand how a newspaper would try and say, yeah, well, look, yeah. The ends justify the means here, right? Everyone's happy. You remember one day of coverage of the ICAC's report when it came out. Now, this is the biggest, most significant report in the corruption the Northern Territory has ever seen. And it implicated everybody. He had businessmen. He had public servants. He had in the chief minister's office. Remember Elf Leonardi? You had, um, and you had the media intertwined in all of this. And that's everything. That's how this place operates. This report was huge. It was a bombshell report. The NT News gave it one day on the front page on that Saturday. On Sunday, they ran a story quoting business people in town saying what a great, great building the grandstand is. And haven't they done a good job in building it? Like, it was unbelievable how slanted that was. So, um, you know, here we are in this place now where, and then we've got the ICAC, I think in his own interest, just wants this gone. So explain to people what the hell is going on. I mentioned the trust that's gone in my mind here now until he can explain why he's not backing that up and even taking it further at the time to just sit back here. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't get it. He needs an explanation. He needs to give an explanation for spending that money to, like you said, bury a corruption report. That's what he's done. 
He hasn't done anything publicly because he's been afraid, it seems like, that he'll be criticized uh, and somebody may take legal action against him. I think that's the nature of this whole thing is that, of course, someone's going to say, oh, you didn't treat me fairly in that. You've ruined my reputation. I'm going to sue. But we've got this guy avoiding doing his job and now actively working against his job by bearing a corruption report and using public funds to negotiate deals with people who have allegations against them that should have gone all the way to court here and let the judge decide whether or not it was fair in how it was handled. Because we've already seen one that determined it was fair how it was handled or the facts were right, who backed up and, and the, those what the report actually found. So I just like it just. It just baffles me, too, that, that, that this guy is doing this and, and thinks that, you know, and I think his response was something, I can get it in there, it was just, I don't have to provide commentary to the media. I'm not concerned with any what anyone thinks about what I'm doing in my job. Well, you should be, because you talk about wanting the public's trust, that's earned, and he's not earned that. And I don't know where he sees this going. Like you mentioned, is there something else? Is there facts we're missing or something? I mean, that's all I can think about. Is this some sort of, you know, uh, uh, cunning plan that he's going to do this? But we haven't seen any action being taken anywhere into that. So the thought that he's going to use this for something else later, I don't see. Like, we know that there's issues with how the ICAC can refer things to the DPP. Um, yet nothing just, changes just from this. Just, there's things that just don't add up, right? I mean, if you were um, if you were Brett Dixon's lawyers or the Turf Club's lawyers, you, you you wouldn't want you wouldn't want those findings to remain, hmm. right? So, why would you not go all the way? Or is this maybe an intermediate step to having as you, that lawyer that you spoke to? saying the right thing to do here is to just basically withdraw the whole thing and apologize to everybody. Hmm. Is this an intermediate step, maybe? Yeah, and if so, why, why not do that straight away, too? But, to yeah, soften you know, it? Yeah, but, but we know how this guy operates I, now. I, like, I don't have any faith that, that's, that there is anything else that he's done because he doesn't appear to have been doing anything on this at all from the beginning and it, like he said we go and look at his own words he could have worded that differently but he's saying no this is a distraction to me that's the thing for um, me you've said that a few times i sort of have going around and around in my head that he he felt that that was a distraction because he's working on bigger stuff but i don't have to tell you what the bigger stuff is so it's sort of all shrouded yeah. in mystery well look i think when we when we look at this, we got to remember what was actually at stake here and what it was twelve million dollars of public funds that shouldn't have been awarded for that. That you know the chief minister took in a flimsy business submission under the arm to cabinet that was written the day before that that should have been stopped at some point because we published that thing. That was crazy. That business plan was just did not stack up. It was it couldn't be backed up with anything, and yet two senior. Um, executives in the public servant, public service saw that and made sure that the chief minister got in. He took it into cabinet. Like how this all transpired, um, and and you know we've read the report. You can still go read our reports about the report as well <laughs> online on the NT Independent site. But I think the frustration from everybody was like, how could they not? Like how can no one be held accountable for this? This is twelve million dollars of public funds. They should not have been spent in this way. They can be proven not to have been spent this way, and that misconduct occurred to ensure that it was. 
and yet nobody's held accountable. And look, like I wrote at the end of the analysis piece here, I said, look, if, we, if we're looking at what Riches has done here, at this rate, his legacy will be overseeing the building that his office is in down there on Kavanaugh Street, raised to the ground and a garden built in its place so that some fine sunny day, there will be no trace that the Northern Territory ever had an anti-corruption body. That's where this guy is going right now. And, you know, and I just laugh. I, I, I think like, you know, we did the story when he was hired and I had good hopes for him. Um, Jody Ryan had sat on the panel that hired him and we were saying, well, wait a second. Fleming said he was investigating her. There was part, she would have been part of the anti-beverages and some other things and her brother being investigated at Dipple. And yet she sat on the panel that hired this guy and, you know, to make of that what you will. But when we start seeing this, this poor performance over the past more than a year now, um, you know, it's just this arrogance that this guy has, too. I don't have to explain anything to anybody. I'm the ICAG. Well, but, man, but he, he didn't start off that gone. way, though. I mean, I mean, as I understand it, when uh, when he was first appointed, he was very responsive to your questions and, and, and engaged with you, unlike, you know, a number of mm-hmm. other public servants uh, in town who seem to get their marching orders from Ghana. Yeah, and let me, let me, let me uh, tell you about that. So he stopped responding to me. Hmm. And so the other day when I sent him this, when I said, you know, here's what Chris Merritt said. I want you to read what he said and, you know, if you want to provide us a comment. And nothing. He didn't respond. So I sent other questions later. I said, well, what about this backroom deal? I mean, is this misconduct? Do you accept it's misconduct on your part to be using taxpayer resources to negotiate deals that benefit you and only you? And I said, and I note that you, you're not responding to my questions anymore. This is the exact same thing the NT government is doing um, because I asked them tough questions like this. Uh, I, and they get upset. Why am I criticizing them? Why am I asking tough, critical questions like this? And that's when he came back and said, I don't have to answer to anybody, basically. I don't care what the media says, even though we've seen examples of him very much caring what the media says, including to contact me saying, why are you writing things that I... I haven't produced anything or haven't accomplished anything because well, it's a fact. So, yeah, this because guy's just become off the tracks here. When you say that the deal that he's made affects only him and benefits him, no, and I it, guess it doesn't benefit him personally. Well, but that's what he said. He said, this is a distraction for me. I need to get on with my work. Right, so okay. What I'm he, saying in is, the sense of the ICAC, yeah. he wants to... Yeah. Like, it's like too bad. This is like the biggest corruption issue that we've had here. This is the most critical, significant report that we've ever seen. And this guy's just ready to bury it because it's not convenient for him to defend it or to even take it further. So the, the decision to bury the report, is that something that is reviewable by Bruce McClintock? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I don't know. I think it has to be, and I think that that is what needs to probably be done. Somebody needs to complain about this to the inspector. And who would have standing to do that, though? Yeah, an MLA probably, huh? Oh, good. <laughs> Uh-oh. That leaves Robin. one. <laughs> Step right up. Yeah. Um, have you spoken to Robin Lamley about this? No, I haven't yet, no. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, you know, she's had issues there with the... But I think e- e- even the... Turf club stuff. Yeah, but even the CLP would be interested in this whole thing. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I'm surprised mm-hmm. there's silence on it. But, you know, like I told you guys before, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're here on that time, but I was saying, like, for some reason, the CLP has this thing with Labour where they won't criticize public servants. They'll only criticize the minister. 
and that, that that doesn't happen anywhere else but the clp are just so for that they won't that's why like you had josh burgoyne saying oh yeah there's some issues i've talked uh, to people police officers about the commissioner they're, they're raising some serious issues i'm not going to criticize them though and it's like, yeah and so so yeah so they're not going to criticize the icac i guess i mean yeah i i don't get it i don't get it i don't know who's sticking up for for territorians at this point to say we need answers and we need people to be held accountable and this mm-hmm. is just another example of the no consequences uh, catchphrase here in the northern territory or no consequences slogan. in the nt well, I, there's, a f- there's a number of questions that you've raised, Chris. I mean, one of them for me is, has this happened anywhere else and how have they handled it? Because yeah, uh, we'll I, I, I would have thought, I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you want to dig, yeah. go to the heart of corruption, get down to Victoria, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. <laughs> well, it's um, sad but interesting, Chris. Um, but uh, still on the uh, subject of ICAC, the ex- <laughs> ICAC's executive assistant faces court... <laughs> Over leaking charges, how, what, what, what's happening there? Yeah, so that like I just get the sense here that like Jamie Chalker was listening and thinking like, yeah, they're finally criticizing somebody else. But then I had to go and mention Chalker's <laughs> name in there. <laughs> yeah, and this one seems to all be about riches in the ICAC. Look, this is we don't know anymore. And can I just say, and I, you know, the photo you guys saw the photo here of this girl. Yeah, yes. Who is his executive guilty assistant. now? I would have run. I would have gladly run a professional photo of this young lady had she had one publicly available. Yeah, no, yeah. she's got all these glamour. I shots. must admit, I, I did get some feedback on the photo with with that words to the effect of, "Why does Chris do that? Like, why did he have to use that photo?" And I had no answer because I didn't know. <laughs> so, well, you were the only photo. One to see on social media and have an answer to that. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was it. And then there was that other one of the selfie. Anyway, look, mm. I, we don't know. We, we were the first ones to report this. We knew who it was and we put it out there. And well, and because of some questioning that happened at Estimates, you remember where uh, Robin Lamley kind of drew it out of him by asking about, well, what does your executive assistant do with the conflicts of interest? And he just was like, oh, uh, uh, it's not, I don't want to answer that question because they had just got done talking about somebody being charged in the office. And then the ne- very next question was about his executive assistant. Well, it's not fair. The person who's been charged has not been named by me. And it's again, yeah, listen, Michael, we don't need your permission for this stuff. Okay. And like I had written some of the him questions about that. And he said, no, um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to put this up there too. So I said to him in a series of questions about this woman who was working there who's now been charged for uh, disclosure of confidential information two breaches of the ICAC Act I said these photos that I'm seeing of her um, you know and there were a bunch of questions but one of the questions was um, you know did was she employed in your office or did you keep her in your office because of her appearance oh dear yeah, and he lost his mind over that and he quickly sent me back and said you apologize to me now for what? that comment. Yeah, and I said, I'm not going to apologize to you, Michael. I'm asking questions. These are but questions. Why was he that asking for an apology? Because how dare I, I don't know, a question that he would keep a woman around because of her appearance. But I said, you know, when I run this story with these are the only photos I have, that is going to be the first thought on everybody's mind when they see this is what the hell is a 23 year old doing in such a, 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 a confidential position where, you know, like this but, but did, woman. Did, but who who hired her? 
Well, so Fleming hired her. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So Fleming hired her back when she was 20. Now, what we know about Kate Johnson is her name is that she uh, she's straight out of high school, went into the anti-government. I think she was in the education department. And somehow she comes over to ICAC, and she's the executive assistant for Fleming. And then when uh, Riches takes over, he doesn't change the executive assistant. He keeps her in the role. Now, the other thing she's doing is that she's the secretary of the, uh, it's the executive committee in there. And I'm trying to remember what the name, operations committee. Now, this is the executive committee that receives reports from investigators and, quote, provides evidence-based recommendations to the commissioner. So it means that Kate Johnson would report, reportedly have knowledge of every investigation the office of the ICAC was conducting. She would hear the most sensitive information right. being discussed about the most high-level investigations into corruption in the Northern Territory. She's now up on charges of leaking information. We don't know what information. Say, do we know what she's alleged to have leaked? No, so she showed up in court. We don't know what. And um, and we don't know to whom yet, but what what's the ramifications of that? <laughs> yeah, what's the penalty? Yeah. Um, I believe there is some jail time, but this is two breaches of the ICAC Act, so it's disclosing confidential information and uh, uh, disclosing information obtained in the course of performing a function. Uh, Odd way of putting it. So yeah. Um, now here's the thing: what came out? So she was in court finally here this week. And her lawyer, Julie Franz, uh, had the matter adjourned until next month, but indicated that her client was likely to enter a plea, uh, quote, to an appropriate charge. But it was unclear uh, what that charge would be. So they're saying um, that charge isn't appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Look, we, we don't know what's, what's actually gone on here, but we do know that when the police issued a, a statement last month to say that an unnamed ICAC staffer had been charged, they had mentioned seizing a phone on June 3rd, So, and then it was a referral from the ICAC, so they had found something, referred it to police, police took her phone. Um, yeah, it was taking selfies, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, like, yeah, just, you know, if she could just... Anyway, there was also a, a police officer, too, and people thought that it was connected because on the same day, a police officer, 50 years old, uh, uh, was also charged with one count of disclosure of confidential information, and that is uh, an officer by the name of Jeannie Secret. Um, we know now she was up in court the same day. She was suspended from the force with pay, had her case adjourned to September. Uh, those two cases are not related at first. We didn't know. Like, why, why did the police put that together? It was like one hand didn't know what the other was doing that day because that was really strange. But they're not connected. But I do want to get back to Riches for a second here with the whole apologize to me now for that thing. And I had said to him, I'm not going to apologize because I ask questions, people, as I'm sure you do that may agitate them from time to time. Um, you know, that's what I'm going to do as a journalist. Could so I'm just not deny apologizing. it. Yeah. But, he was, but this is the kind of arrogance we're dealing Can with. Can I just ask you a question? What would you, what would you have done if you said, yes, I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have said one. Yeah, I mean, how, how, how would that go to print? <laughs> fair, fair call. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, but that's it. He's he's got to explain something here of what's going on because that is what people would be thinking. And I'm not going to apologize for asking those kind of questions can to you, him. But it's up to him how he responds. But he probably should have just said, "No, it's a ridiculous question." Can you quote the response? She was she was good. Can you say her that job? Was, we never heard that anything. He just didn't want to even discuss. You'd assume it. that though, wouldn't you? Well, 
but like I said, like this is somebody, and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to her in any way because I don't know, maybe, but she doesn't have any background in anything. Like I said, right out of high school into the public service, and then somehow she has access to the most confidential information in the Northern Territory. But she can be promoted in the Northern Territory ahead of time. That happens in many jobs. And I was talking to Leon about that the other day where, you know, somebody in the legal industry was only a junior about 10 minutes ago and now they've got an almighty title. It happens all the time. Yeah. Well, and then when they start leaking information. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. But can I just say So maybe nobody well, would have said anything. Every time you mention this, I always think to myself, how can I get a job like that suspended with full pay? <laughs> yeah. Or the police officer it, was, It yeah. doesn't work outside government, does it? Yeah. So, look, we'll we'll – kind of keep watching the court list for that and hopefully get some more information now somebody had said this too like is it that if she pleads pleads takes a plea on this whole thing well we know the details i guess it would have to be if they take a plea come out in court though the details the agreed upon facts it could be it could be a plea that guarantees um that the facts don't come out. Yeah, that she negotiates with the ICAC who likes burying evidence and stuff like that now, yeah. I did not say that, Christopher. <laughs> hey, putting, well, I'm just basing it on the facts. putting words in my right? mouth. Yeah. Look, let's move on to another classy bunch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the alleged chemical thrower has oh. been found not guilty for, re- oh, I thought it said ridiculous behaviour, for <laughs> riotous behaviour and aggravated assault against police. Now... Submission question part A, did we ever find out what the chemical was? Well, that's a very good question, and I don't think we quite have the answer yet. The answer's out there right. somewhere. Baking soda or? Nah, yeah. Like, I, was that? I think it was more H2O, like just, uh, just okay. water. Now, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's quite a story here. That, that we went to a few done. labs around the world to only find out it was water. It seemed like around the country yeah, anywhere yeah. that he did, yeah. So so Woody's kind of looking into that, and I think we're right. going to have more on that. Okay. Um, with this one now, uh, what happened was, yeah, that this guy accused of riotous behavior and throwing a chemical at police officers during this anti-mandate rally last year was found not guilty on five charges uh, wow. on Tuesday after the prosecution failed to meet a court-ordered deadline to disclose evidence. And we get back into that wow. that that report of what was actually in in this chemical. Um, That's got to be unusual, doesn't it? Yeah. To charge somebody with such serious offenses and then not provide your part of the... Well, the whole thing was, this guy was actually, you know, you talk about punishment, this guy was facing seven years and possible deportation. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. I don't know much about much, but that's some pretty serious so, words in there. Yeah, Thomas Hewitt-Jones, 37, he now resides in Sydney. He was facing five charges over his involvement in the Free and the Anti rally on November 6th during a period where the chief health officer had restricted movement for people who were not vaccinated. Um, now, the court had Remember heard... Those days? Yeah. That, that was like Doesn't tw- it seem like that was less than 12 months ago. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it was a lifetime ago. Yeah, it does, man. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so the court heard accusations on Tuesday that the prosecution knowingly withheld evidence relating to an analysis what? of the alleged chemical into uh, days before the trial date, which was unfair to the defendant. So... Um, yeah, and then there's some background of how that all happened in terms of that November 6th rally. And, of course, you remember, um, yeah, liquid being thrown and the police were pepper spraying people or capsicum spraying, we'll call it pepper spray. But, yeah, um, 
So same what thing, had really, happened, just a different uh, fruit or veggie. <laughs> yeah. Now appearing for the defendant, of course, uh, John Lawrence. And Johnny Lawrence. Yeah, and he was uh, <laughs> out there saying some. <laughs> I know why things. he got off there. <laughs> yeah, Kula Kula Russos and uh, and solicitor Eric Withnall. Um, yeah, well, a crack team. So yeah, because and you know they were talking about costs, and I think so that's still to be done. But was he not even there? Who? The accused. No, I, I believe he was there. Oh, okay. um, Flew up for the day. Yeah. So what he what he said? Lucky you got a flight. In this what he said in on this one. So now the prosecutor they brought in was a junior guy. Christopher Tang is his name. He was assigned to the case on June 26. Uh, he had sought some time to decide on a course of action. I guess that day or the Monday, and said he believed on Monday it was still in the public interest to proceed with the prosecution because they were quote not trivial charges. The evidence Jay. may very well have been trivial. Uh, they did end up uh, deciding to withdraw the breach of Cho direction um, and proceed with the others. And, of course, they wouldn't have the evidence on that, too, that he breached that. That's an easy one. Um, two police witnesses gave evidence on Tuesday with the defense arguing the evidence could not prove Hewitt Jones's identity in relation to the alleged criminal acts. Uh, Tang had told the court on the Tuesday that uh, the DPP had considered their position and would not proceed in light of the evidence that they they had that could be used in addition to the fact that another police officer could not give evidence because they had to reportedly look after their child. You remember this? This was like stuff oh that God. happened. I tell you, before. this is this is sounding more like a Hollywood movie every second. So the defense put in no case. Not that story, this whole episode. Yeah, yeah. The defense put a no case submission on the basis police could not identify Hewitt Jones, and it was upheld. Judge Thomas and Opie was asked to rule based on evidence that had been presented and found Hewitt Jones not guilty on five counts. There was no evidence, was there? Yeah, no. Um, on December 16th, so this is it, though, like why the prosecution failed to present the evidence. So on December 16th, the preliminary brief of evidence was handed to the defense, which included statements from the officers, photos, statement of facts. But then at the directions hearing on February 2nd, Chief Judge Morris um, made the full evidence disclosure order for March 21st, which they didn't meet. The court heard the uh, last aggravated assault charge was not laid until July 11th, one week before it was due in court, which Opie, Judge Opie said was extraordinarily late in the overall proceedings. Lawrence told the court a chemical analysis report showing what was allegedly thrown was finalized way back on November 30th mm. and given to prosecutors on February 8th and then not presented to the defense until July 13th this and, month. And do you say what it was? Five days before the case was due to be heard. Um, no, I, I, I don't think that that came up. We don't, they didn't get into that because I think it was like just not evidence in the, in the whole thing. But I think Woody's wow. going to have some more and when they, it comes to that. They so. added aggravated assault like <laughs> 10 yeah. 10 days ago or a week before it was in court. Yeah. Does does that sound right? He said, yeah, this just illustrates in a horrible way what we've been deprived of, Lawrence told the court. Now, this was a case which had, as a central point, rioters throwing chemicals at police officers and burning them. You remember that Jamie Chalker got up and said, we're coming for you. We know what you've got there and we're coming to get you. The police had a report dated the 30th of the very month of November when it happened, but which didn't take it any further. And they had until at least February to turn it over. They didn't give it to us until the 13th of July. Um, We had also been asking for the briefing letter to the expert from the police or prosecution, which is always, which is what you always do when you're confronted with an expert witness. 
what were the terms of engagement? What were you asked to look for? You always get that. I'm still to get that. The whole country relies on the prosecution, the independent office of the DPP, independent from government, independent from police, independent from everybody, making even-handed, fair decisions we trust. We need to have that trust, and this case flies in the face of holding such trust, which is why it's exceptional. Now, Tang had come back and taken exception to Lawrence's submission that it was a deliberate act to withhold evidence, suggesting it was apparent certain steps could have been taken to remediate errors made. Yes. But Lawrence said the DPP were trying to defend the indefensible. Um, yeah, this is, you know, then Johnny got up on a, a few <laughs> speeches here. I can imagine. To, uh, <laughs> he testify, testify, Sounding just Johnny. like fat bastard. <laughs> the price of liberty. Giving it to them. <laughs> He's quoting Edmund Birkin here at one point as well. Um, but, yeah, look, th this is an issue that was happening. Um, they, didn't, they didn't do this case properly at all. Um, I'm trying to find this part because this was good, despite knowing it should have been disclosed. Um, but that they sat on evidence was the accusation for months. Despite knowing it should have been dis disclosed, Lawrence said knowing it had been ordered by a judge, being asked on several occasions to disclose it, and not disclosing it. Unless Your Honor has any evidence that explains why the material wasn't disclosed uh, and being the subject of judicial orders, you can only infer this was by choice. Um, it seems odd. I just don't get it. Yeah, and the yeah. Maybe it was embarrassing because it was water. It was water, yeah, or, or it wasn't. The burning might have been because of the sun, with the water or something. But but uh, I got to do yeah. some uh, full disclosure here. Chris Ting is an ex ward killer lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he used to used to work with me, and uh, yeah, so he moved over to the DPP, and this is the first time I'm hearing him being reported. So well <laughs> done, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. He's making. Wish it was under better money. circumstances. Though. <laughs> yeah. I wish you won the case. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, look, yeah, like I said, Woody's going to have more on this, but um, yeah, just going back to asked at a press conference because we do have this is interesting. Asked at a press conference on December seventh, the police had identified what the substance allegedly thrown was. Mm -hmm. Police Commissioner Jamie Chalker told the media the results had come back from Victoria the day before, but would not say what the results showed. This is despite having been publicly descriptive of its effects previously, telling the alleged offenders police were coming for you. The advice I received yesterday, he said at the time, was the forensic results had come back and is being presented into the prosecution file. He said, that sounds like him. <laughs> In late November, he told the media the substance had been scientifically analyzed, but it was, quote, his understanding the initial analysis required further testing. So we're going to... They weren't sure what part of the Alps the water came from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's, there's going to be much more. I think there's, yeah, right. I think all of this will come out eventually. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Well, okay. Um, let's move to the next story. The cost of Darwin shiplift uh, jumps by $115 million as a contractor is selected. Yes. Hey, <laughs> so, uh, how <laughs> much was that? it before the 115 million increase? Yeah, it was 400. So now it's 500. 515. Uh, so that's as much as the port. Yeah, the port was leased for 500 million, and this ship lift is going to cost 500 million. Mm. Yeah, so they cancel each other out <laughs> here, right? Um, yeah, look, this thing so they put out this announcement and i don't think that anybody other media caught on to this they just reported what was in the statement um and which their whole focus was and i don't even know how to pronounce this is it cloth 
C L O U G H Clough 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 BMD Joint Venture had been selected. Now it was up them and Territoria Civil were the two finalists for this project. Territoria sounds local. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so smart naming. Yeah. Clough BMD Joint Venture were announced on Saturday. For some yeah. reason, files. Yeah. Uh, let's do a Saturday morning press conference and the announce this. The fax machine was on the blink Friday afternoon, <laughs> yeah. so. um, which was strange, right? And that, uh, Chris, Chris, I'm gonna have to stop you there. This, you're gonna have to stop saying things are strange up here, right? Which was normal. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that, anymore normal. that's any longer strange up here. Yeah. Well, you know, so we look into this a bit more, and of course, nobody else reports it. But you got to remember that this major project was now half a billion dollars. Now, three hundred million of that's coming from the NAFE, right? Um, mm. As a loan that we get to pay back, not <laughs> yeah. not past Pally. So, by so the who way. owns this, by the way? Yeah, past Pally will be operating. It yeah, I know they're operating, yeah. but, but who actually owns the land and the infrastructure? Well, I think it was past Pally's land, and I think it will be theirs. But I'll double check that. I'll okay. I'll look into that but, further. That's because very important. I'm trying to find these reports, right? <laughs> so there's never been an economic assessment that was made public by this. Now there have been before that we're aware of that said this is not feasible. Do not do this. And we're looking into getting those now. But this comes out the other day where they announced this. So um, why would NAFE lend the it, money then? Well, this is crazy because they want to see – they needed. They had problems back then last year so getting money out the door. They can't give it they away, They were saying man. that they were going to change the <laughs> – They haven't been able to give it away quick yeah, enough. And they were going to change the requirements for getting this, the threshold for what you had to meet. So then all of a sudden, this like it's just crazy. It, it just doesn't make sense. So Can and, I just – just verify nobody. something with you here, Chris. So th- this is a ship lift that um, the then Gunner government decided that we needed. Mm-hmm. This is to get ships in that we don't currently get in <laughs> to do repairs and maintenance. Yeah, like, I think, and there's I no think business, patrol boats and stuff. But there's no business case for wherever the, if these ships are ever going to come here or not. No, we're, well, they, just gonna, not, we're just going to build, build it, it they and they will come. Yeah, Is that yeah, the theory? Yeah, yeah but they won't. There's one in WA yeah. that's different. so build it and they won't come. Yeah, because right? look, this was the <laughs> whole thing, and they keep <laughs> they kind of keep saying this. Look, that <laughs> <laughs> and they still won't come. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not here now, and they're not coming. Right. Ship lift or no ship? Yeah, lift. and then they say, okay, let's throw the more Chinese money. Chinese might want it for five hundred million. I'm sure we could package it up. So they said that, though, like, let's just make it bigger then. (laughs) And um, throw more money into it. I'm serious. This is what happened. That makes total sense. They're not coming. I know. i got a plan. Let's make it bigger. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is why. So on Saturday, so when they're announcing the the winning tenderer, um, they said it will be for vessels of up to 5,000 tons and will be, quote, used for multiple industries, including offshore petroleum, fishing, pearling, and defense and border force. Outside of pearling with Pasbelli, they don't uh, have anybody else signed up to use this thing. I defense and border say, force have not agreed to use it. Is they it, still have not done that, but yet the government's making it look like they have, and they haven't. So, yeah, this is just, this is, yeah, outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the profits will all be made by Passbelly. They'll operate it. Um, they're not contributing any money to the project, <laughs> as you know. Um, this other 115 will be coming from the government. I mean, I don't even know where they're going to get this. Like, how? Well, okay. 
I know you expecting me to say what I normally say here, but it's no longer cheap, so I'm not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) But this, yeah. And then they just tried to sneak that in, that this is now going to cost taxpayers $215 million. By the way, another $115. Yeah. And they just put it in the release and nobody asked or anything about it. So this extra $115 million is coming from the Northern Territory government? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I just, I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how they're just managing to borrow this money. Um, I think we've got a AAA rating, don't we? You know, again, it's all underwritten by the feds. So <laughs> till they switch the tap off, why not? Give it a crack. Just, you know, we talked about a, a bad public servant earlier, the, one who isn't performing well. Um, the best public servant, of course, is Auditor General Julie Chris. Of course. Now, in 2018, she looked into this and she had found that that $100 million figure. Now, you had mentioned Gunner. It was actually Giles who first came up and floated oh, this idea. Okay. And he said, we're going to throw $100 million and we're going to build this ship lift. And they, so the Auditor General looked at that. And then when, when Gunner took over, he's like, oh, shit, we don't have any better idea. <laughs> Let's just throw that $100 million at this thing. So she looked at it and then under Gunner's time and found, and this is in 2018, so two years after Gunner came in, pledged that the $100 million that the government was still pledging for the ship lift was not based on any economic modeling. And that the government did not complete a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, an early pre-feasibility report considering the direct economic benefits of what was then proposed as a larger marine maintenance precinct found it would return just 65 cents for every dollar spent. Uh, but the rest of the project has since been scrapped. And that was only if they built the whole this whole big precinct thing right. there. Um, yeah, and will now only be a shiplift facility, which the government has not been able to provide any modeling that shows it will be feasible. Or used. That's right. Yeah, that's crazy. Despite making it <laughs> bigger. Okay. <laughs> that's what happened. So. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know how they're getting away with this one because they should be looking into this now too. This other office still exists for the time being. <laughs> that's a good point. Let us know, Chris, next time there's another um, – 100 mil thrown at it. <laughs> Keep you up there. Let's move on to the next story. And the uh, NT forecast to be the worst performing economy in Australia over five years, according to Deloitte Access Economics. Aren't they delivering the good news? <laughs> yeah. Yes. This was, um, yeah, uh, pretty much the forecast I Sums think we'd up. be expecting, yeah, yeah. right? Like, that, Well, unfortunately, there's no surprises in that, is there? No. Only that, you know, I'm, I mean, how many times have these reports been right? Yeah. That's the only thing I want to say. Yeah, th- there are a lot of these forecasts, but someone will come out next week and mm. say we'll be the best performing... Mm-hmm. I'm almost, certain Deloitte no, Act- I'm, I'm almost certain that we have read Deloitte Access Economics reports that have said the NT is the best performing economy, right. you know. Well, uh, yeah, maybe, this but what are you going to base that on mm. in the future, right? I mean, I think that's what they're looking at here. Now, they mention that the Territory relies significantly on imported inputs for major engineering construction mm. projects, mm. private engineering commercial investment increasing by three points, private yeah, equipment investment and all of that contributing. But that's the whole thing is that it's – the, but over it, the next five years, will be driven by several resource projects, and they're saying in private investments. I don't but know is what it that though? is. I mean, let's yeah. face the facts. The reality is the NT is driven by public service wages. Mm. I mean, why is that not being talked about in this report? Mm. Or is that not included? <laughs> because if it's not included, then they may yeah, not I don't know. You know I, I don't know, Chris, that people have actually th- thought about 
the fact that the Northern Territory Public Service what represents how much of our employment? Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Yeah. Right. Thereabouts. Yep. Is it that much? Yeah. Well, I mean, I it's, and good through good times or bad times, it keeps growing. It's not shrinking, <laughs> and wage rises keep happening through good times and bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is the most significant injection of income yeah. into, the, into the economy, isn't it? I think that they're mentioning this and when they say the NT, and this is the one glimmer of hope, the good news in this, the NT unemployment rate is forecast to average 4%. Yeah, the other thing that this report found that the NT will lead the country on again is CPI. It, it will rise higher here. It's always good to get a record. Anywhere else over the next five years, so... Mm. Well, that means fuel prices are going to go up more. <laughs> right. Okay. Can they, can they go up anymore? Well, let's finish on a potentially a positive note, although this could be negative as well. <laughs> yeah, this one. <laughs> the NT property Careful. market bucks nationwide sell-off trend. Now, this is right in your belly, Rick, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, I think so. So, yes, let me tell you what. This was, I guess this was a new report from the Prop Track listings report for June. Prop Track 22 mm-hmm. showed the new listings uh, were higher across every market except the NT. Uh, I guess the report saying indicating a bear market in the property sector has begun. Um, yeah, uh, Core Logic sales data showed that initial sales estimates over the June quarter here were 15.9 percent lower than the same quarter of the previous year. However, of course, the real estate people are being positive. Talking, talking. <laughs> saying, well, Look, all the benefits are of mine. Yeah, there, but yeah. Was that Glenn? That was, uh, <laughs> Glenn's definitely active being, being estate, positive in the market. Real estate central. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I actually had a conversation this week with a couple of agents on the Sunshine Coast and, mm-hmm. you know, they were saying down there that the, the listings are literally falling out of their pockets. Yeah, that's what... But there's saying. just no buyers around. Yeah. Whereas here, I think we've got more of an even market. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you firsthand, it takes a little while longer for the NT to catch up because in 2009, when... The property market in Dubai had been obliterated and I came home for Christmas and was talking to some of my former colleagues. Oh, market's great. It's rocking along. There's no such thing as a GFC. It's all hype. Mm. Well, yeah. Mm. But in, in fairness, we then had impacts pop up after that. So it actually delayed it. But as we know, 2018 was the low point. And I can tell you firsthand, you know, the paper profits between the good days and and even now uh, are a long way off. Mm. Yeah, I look. So, I, I mean, property prices have even. definitely increased over the last two years. Yeah, since twenty twenty, but um, it, probably not as high as what it was back no. in two thousand and fourteen. Fifteen. Nowhere near it. Yeah. yeah. Nowhere near. Yeah. It. And so, yeah, like they're saying that everywhere else they're rushing to sell off properties in here it's not happening but you're saying you think it will because i think uh, everybody was worried that it's going to crash next yeah, year so or something right it, that the it, values will come down and yeah and look at this this bloody no offense chris the bloody media are responsible <laughs> for so much of this crap there's not going to be a crash of property we're not going to wake up tomorrow and find houses worth 20 percent of what they're worth today there's a million levers that they have control of that will prevent that but 
The fact is that we've had a half generation of people who've never had to factor in interest rates mm. when buying or selling a property. Mm. Never. The hikes. Mm. They didn't, don't even understand it. So now we've got month-on-month increases. There's a prediction of a three-quarter percent rise at mm. the next RBA meeting. Interest rates will become a factor again. Yeah. And people don't want to be holding multiple properties no, that's in true. that environment. That is true, Chris. In fact, yeah. what Pete was just saying, I was just reflecting on my own life. When I bought my first property in 1995, which is what, 25 years ago, mm. interest rates were at 10% wow. and, and I could fix them at 12 mm. and I have never seen interest rates go up since then. All yeah. they've done yeah. is come down yeah. and that was 95. Yeah. Well, yeah. when was the last recession? We, we had 10 years of no change. Well, when was the last recession here? Uh, we haven't had one for a long time. Well, we had one. The one we had to have was yeah. in uh, 80, 88, 89. Late 80s, yeah, yeah that's what I after think, the big crash. And we, but yeah, and I, we, I reckon... We've been on the precipice a few times. We've never actually gone into recession, technically. Yeah. And I think that when I was buying that, when I bought that property back in 95, the interest rates had come down from like 20% or something yeah. back, uh-huh. in the, you know, back in the year. Yeah, they were. 90s. Late 80s. Oh, I remember yeah. 18s and 19s were, mm. were pretty normal. I mean, think about that. But, yeah, it, look, you know, I think we're going to go through an interesting time. As I think I've probably said before, I follow some of the US guys pretty heavily, um, particularly in the stock side of things. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the fact that although we're off 25 30% for the year as it stands, uh, you know, Michael Burry, who people probably know from the big short, he says we're only halfway down. So there'll be big opportunities that come, but but you haven't. But if you look at the U.S. stock market compared mm. to the Australian Overblown. stock market, it's yeah. just been going nuts ever yeah. since the GFC. Yeah, correct. You know, yeah. and, I, and I know that. Well, from talking to uh, you know uh, a stockbroker, that uh, old mate Dave, Dave. Um, Oh God! Why I always get these? Whenever I mention da- someone on the Dave podcast, that dodgy crew that uh, you blokes hang around Dave, with, Jesus, uh, Dave Cope uh, from Morgan's. You know, uh, Dave educated me on the stock market, and he said, "Look, with the U.S. stock market, a lot of the companies reinvest." Yeah, right. They reinvest, whereas our, our companies tend to just pay out dividends, dividends like Telstra. Yeah. You yeah. know, correct. Um, which says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. But so, so that's the reason why those those companies have grown and grown and yes, grown. Yes, that is true. So, um, yeah, but nonetheless, the stock market has gone nuts. It has. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, maybe it is finally coming off the boil. Who the hell knows? Yeah, I don't know. it'll go to like it's like an elastic band. It goes too far one way and it'll go too far the other. So, if you've got some cash lying around, stay tuned. Right. There'll be some opportunities coming up. Now, now Chris, before we go, um, I wasn't here last week, so I missed the conversation you guys had about the NT Independence new model, uh, subscription model, because I noticed today when I was trying to look at some of the stories to talk about, um, I yeah. was I was blocked. Hit us up with some logins, <laughs> would you, for crying out loud? So so, so how's that all working? Well, you were the first one to say you were going to sign up. Well, I, I, <laughs> we I actually e- texted Owen today. Yeah. As soon as that happened, I texted him. We and didn't know we'd be victims it. of it, though, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, victims. Yeah. Well, look, we just need people to participate, and mm. um, we think we can do a lot more. And mm. 
Yeah, it was something that was necessary. You know me and the private conversations we've had and that I've I, – I, I was the biggest advocate of yeah, it. Yeah, you wanted to and yeah. I still said – so we've kind of – we I think that we've got this balance here that it's not all going to be behind the paywall. Like there will still be stuff mm-hmm. that will be free for people. And, in fact, after a certain time – and that'll still be determined. I think we're looking at a week or something. But in those stories, mm. the exclusive ones that we're doing and only we're doing, that's exposing what's actually going on in this place and that people need to read, you will still give it to them after that. They won't have to pay for it. But if you want it when it's fresh and when it first comes out, that's kind of the, the agreement that we've got to, the, 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 to reach that balance, I think, is the right thing to do. And we look, we just needed to do it if you talk to Owen financially. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying to Pete last week, like we, and I've told you before anyway, and you know that, like, you know, we've had people go and try and sell ads for us, and a lot of the companies are saying, well, if we do that, mm-hmm. the anti government's not going to give us contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, on the other side of that, you have a bunch who have come on, which has been great, mm-hmm. and that's brought in some money. It just hasn't been enough to keep us going. And, you know, like Owen and his family have put in a lot of money yep. to this already, mm-hmm. um, like out of their own pockets to do this. So, yeah, so we've got to find a way, and it is crucial to our survival that people do sign up yeah. and do this because we think we're providing a good service. We think we can get even better if we have more people. And the way I would look at it is that we're all working together here with this thing that we're this project that we're running for the community and for the betterment of, of the Northern Territory. That if people get involved, it's just going to get even better. And we we might even be able to bring in other journalists. And even if it was part-time at first or something, then we could do more stories. We could do more things here for, for the territory and expose what's going on. Because God knows, like Woody and I, um, you know, we have some other people help us from time to time. People write columns and stuff. But um, to get through everything that we've had to get through. I try and do my best for you too, Chris. Yeah. Well, I, uh, throw stories your way every now <laughs> and then. And yeah, you start writing them for us. <laughs> Sometimes I am the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. And, you know, like the NT, um, we we're just talking about that, the ICAC, and we may have to, to do something like the, you know, if the ICAC's not doing what the public expects of it, there's always the Office of the Independent Newspaper Against Corruption. The INAC. <laughs> we may have to start doing something like that. But, um, the INAC. You know, because look at this. I, was, I put the numbers together. I went through the annual reports the other day on the ICAC, and I realized we paid them $23 million bucks. Mm, well, my estimate, that. $23 million mm. for four years, less than four years. And um, what have we got to show for it? <laughs> Not mm. very what much. What slice of that could keep you going for a oh, while? Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, my God. Um, yeah. So, look, this is it, – it's kind of – crucial for us it's something that 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 is going to make or break us here really at the end of the day so we've got to we're hoping that people come on and you know we'll be getting stuff and we're kind of gradually rolling i was going to soft kind of roll out on it and there's a story up today um there'll be things there'll be more things coming and and some big big exclusive stuff that we've got that we're going to give to our subscribers first and then um everybody else later but we're, we're really just telling people get on board with us here and this is or else it goes away and we don't want to do that no. so. how's the store going the, the store yeah oh yeah we're still selling some stuff yep, red tape yeah, yeah, the red tapes. yeah <laughs> that has been popular um, <laughs> yeah i'm sure that owen's got more ideas for more products <laughs> coming out but um, yeah everything helps anyway anybody wants to contribute to us is and, you know, everybody who has, and we've had a lot of people, we've had a lot of people come on board now, too, which is good in the first, you know, five days of this, really. Of is us, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've well, had that's people good. come on. That's fantastic. And, you know, but we've, and we've, 
we had people before who kind of did that and mm. there was always that option that you could do a rolling kind of mm. donation and mm. every month it comes yeah. out and so those people have still stayed with us and mm. some of them have really put in a lot of money mm. so um yeah we're really hardened by that and we mm. think that the people will get behind and we gotta yeah i mean we we've, we've shown people what we can do for nearly two and a half years and we're going to continue doing that and i think we can do it even better yeah, well, it's just, you know, it's it's frustrating and disappointing to see. I mean, like even today when we were talking about these stories, I flicked to the ABC to see what was written about it. There's, I can't find anything, mm. you know, and that just worries the hell Behind out of me. Behind the paywall, that's why. Yeah, the paywall. I mean, these stories are in the public interest. There's no, you can't, there's no other way to slice and dice this stuff, mm. you know. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I hear what you're saying there, Chris, about the ICAC commissioner being disappointed, you know, upset with you because you're asking hard questions. But that's what accountability is. Mm. You know, you, you if you if you don't like it, then you shouldn't be doing the job. Mm. You know, it, it comes with the territory. I, I think. I mean, quite uh, literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at the guy, you, you look at what happens down south. I mean, look what mm. happened to John Barillaro. He's that him put through the ringer. <laughs> put through the ringer. Um, you know, I mean, that only happened that, that and was, ended because they all reported on it. That was bloody laughable when you think about it. Like, yeah. I was actually really heartened by that because I was starting to sort of get into Chris's doldrums of, ah, oh, bloody hell, you know, something else has happened in the NT that's going to go untouched. I was like, oh, check this out. New South Wales, this guy's actually done something most likely worse than what we've seen up here. And you're right. He would have pushed on if he wasn't called to account. Yeah, so, yeah. If they didn't just keep reporting yeah. it, so that it became such be- a distraction. He to begrudgingly the said, oh, "I'm not going to take yeah. it." You know, because the right. premier called and said, "You're gone. It's you or me, Someone and it ain't me. Said, it's you." I've done the wrong thing. Okay, yeah. all right. I disagree, but I won't do it. Yeah, but not here. Gosh. Not here. Yeah. We let the distraction continue, <laughs> and yeah, don't take any action. Um, yeah, and you know, and, I, and I've been critical of media, local media, a lot. Um, and I think it's warranted, but of course, the last time we talked was before that came out. And then, how Ryder- does Woody take that when you're critical of him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not well. Or as Liz would say, badly. <laughs> <laughs> Real bad. I'm having a week off, Chris. I'm not telling you. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I've been critical of local media, and uh, and then the ABC last Friday wrote a pretty good piece about. Um, where where the ban is on the anti-independent and why is oh, really? still doing it yeah oh, right. and they had um a lot of people from across the country on it peter gresta of course commented yeah. on it um, oh, wow. oh, there wow. was a lot of people saying this doesn't make any sense this is not democracy um really good reporter there a guy named steve vivian who's yeah, who always right. does a good job um so that was good you slip him a few uh, benjamins for <laughs> <laughs> no i think like you know that he gets it he understands mm. it and it's only that when individual journalists start standing up too that then that, that they push their other organizations it. to do yeah, stuff yeah. i mean Look, all of them could end it really yeah. like what he had said before if mm-hmm. they just said we're not going to your press mm-hmm. conferences anymore mm-hmm. until the independence i wish they it. would i really yeah. do but you I know would, we, we even had cam cam smith on yeah. the podcast and i asked him these questions I as i do with every journalist that we get on the podcast his take on it was interesting though leon uh the first thing that he did say to pass on to you chris was you're not missing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. That's right. I got, I got the sense from that response mm. that, um, yeah, that, you know, because we asked the question that, well, 
Chris is of the belief that the right questions aren't being asked. Yes, and Cam acknowledged that. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's yeah it's interesting. Well, he knows he's got to be yeah. I mean, have uh, the most I don't, experience in the I don't office, think so. them walking out is going to cause the government to say, oh, okay, gee, we better invite everybody back. Then. Yeah, they're going to go, you beauty, I less mean, and look at <laughs> Yeah, it. maybe. Because yeah. that kind yeah, of backfired yeah. when the opposition and independence with the Gunner government said, we're not going to attend, we're going to boycott estimates. Mm. And they said, okay, yeah, let's sweet. keep having estimates. <laughs> and we'll just ask ourselves questions, then <laughs> I got to ask questions. <laughs> Which, again, then they didn't actually ask no, properly. Well, that yeah, was crazy. No, yeah. what's being done is, is, is putting it, this is a stress test of democracy. That's what mm. it is yeah, on, on a number of different levels, not just for media, just the way the government is carrying on and not actually – they're breaking conventions. Mm. You know, they mm. have to be accountable. They have, yeah. to, they have to subject themselves to accountability. Mm. And, and maybe because we live in the territory, you know, and we, everything's magnified here, we can see it. More clearly, yeah that's, yeah. that's what I was suggesting. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, gents. Yeah. I couldn't let you go without doing a Nats job of the week. There's no intro <laughs> for it. <laughs> Thanks to no one in particular. Now, uh, the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet is advertising this week for a launderer <laughs> slash steward. <laughs> Now, before you this get carried great. away, there's and no cash involved. And who they report to, exactly? <laughs> there's no cash involved. The, uh, it's a part-time <laughs> role, but I note that it's paying sixty-two dollars to $63,000. Part-time role, 20 hours a week over five days. It's re-advertised. So, previous applicants, there is no need to reapply. Now, <laughs> just in case you're not reading the subtext... That's because you didn't get the job. Okay? <laughs> They're not interested. Government House support staff, the administrator of the NT, to perform a statutory, ceremonial, and community duties. I'm pretty sure a launderer wouldn't have to do most of those things. But anyway, not for me wow. to say. If you'd like to apply for the job or for more information, you can contact the manager of household operations, Miss, oh, sorry, Ms. Kristen Butler, on 8999. Double five four one. Nat's job of the week. Back again next week. <laughs> like your pick. Thanks like for that. It. Thanks, boys. Catch you next week. All right. See you guys. All right, see ya. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie. Back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.